Habits aren't destiny. As the next two chapters explain, habits can be ignored, changed or replaced. But the reason the discovery of the habit loop is so important is that it reveals a basic truth. When a habit emerges, the brain stops fully participating in decision making. It stops working so hard or diverts focus to other tasks. So unless you deliberately fight a habit, unless you find new routines, the pattern will unfold automatically. However, simply understanding how habits work, learning the structure of the habit loop makes them easier to control. Once you break a habit into its components, you can fiddle with the gears. We have done experiments where we trained rats to run down a maze until it was a habit and then we extinguished the habit by changing the placement of the reward. Anne Grable, a scientist at MIT who oversaw many of the basal ganglia experiments, told me, then one day we will put the reward in the old place and put in the rat and by golly the old habit will re-emerge right away. Habits never really disappear. They are encoded into the structures of our brain and that's a huge advantage for us because it would be awful if we had to relearn how to drive after every vacation. The problem is that your brain can't tell the difference between bad and good habits and so if you have a bad one, it's always lurking there, waiting for the right cues and rewards. This explains why it's so hard to create exercise habits, for instance, or change what we eat. Once we develop a routine of sitting on the couch rather than running or snacking whenever we pass a donut box, those patterns always remain inside our heads. By the same rule, though, if we learn to create new neurological routines that overpower those behaviors, if we can take control of the habit loop, we can force those bad tendencies into the background, just as Lisa Allen did after her Cairo trip. And once again, someone creates a new pattern. Studies have demonstrated going for a jog or ignoring the donuts becomes as automatic as any other habit. Without habit loops, our brain would shut down, overwhelmed by the miniature of daily life. People whose basal ganglia are damaged by injury or disease often become mentally paralyzed. They have trouble performing basic activities such as opening a door or deciding what to eat. They lose the ability to ignore insignificant details. One study, for example, found that patients with basal ganglia injuries couldn't recognize facial expressions, including fear and disgust, because they were perpetually uncertain about which part of the face to focus on. Without our basal ganglia, we lose access to the hundreds of habits we rely on every day. Did you pause this morning to decide whether to tie your left or right shoe first? Did you have trouble figuring out if you should brush your teeth before or after you showered? Of course not. Those decisions are habitual, effortless. As long as your basal ganglia is intact and the cues remains constant, the behaviors will occur unthinkingly. Though when you go on vacation, you may get dressed in different ways or brush your teeth at a different point in your morning routine without noticing it. At the same time, 
However, the brain's dependence on automatic routines can be dangerous. Habits are often as much a curse as a benefit. Take Eugene, for instance. Habits gave him his life back after he lost his memory. Then they took away everything again. As Larry Squire, the memory specialist, spent more and more time with Eugene, he became convinced his patient was somehow learning new behaviors. Images of Eugene's brain showed that his basal ganglia had escaped injury from the viral encephalitis. Was it possible? The scientist wondered that Eugene, even with severe brain damage, could still use the Q-routine reward loop? Could this ancient neurological process explain how Eugene was able to walk around the block and find the jar of nuts in the kitchen? To test if Eugene was forming new habits, Squire devised an experiment. He took 16 different objects, bits of plastic and brightly colored pieces of toys and glued them to cardboard rectangles. He then divided them into eight pairs, choice A and choice B. In each pairing, one piece of cardboard, chosen at random, had a sticker placed on the bottom that read, correct. Eugene was seated at a table, given a pair of objects and asked to choose one. Next, he was told to turn over his choice to see if there was a correct sticker underneath. This is a common way to measure memory. Since there are only 16 objects, they are always represented in the same 8 pairings. Most people can memorize which item is correct after a few rounds. Monkeys can memorize all the correct items after 8 to 10 days. Eugene couldn't remember any of the correct items, no matter how many times he did the test. He repeated the experiment twice a week for months, looking at 40 pairings each day. Do you know, do you know why you are here today? A researcher asked at the beginning of one session a few weeks into the experiment. I don't think so, Eugene said. I'm going to show you some objects. Do you know why? Am I supposed to describe them to you or tell you what they're used for? Eugene couldn't recollect the previous sessions at all. But as the weeks passed, Eugene's performance improved. After 28 days of training, Eugene was choosing the correct object 85% of the time. At 36 days, he was right 95% of the time. After one test, Eugene looked at the researcher bewildered by his success. How am I doing this? He asked her. Tell me what is going on in your head, the researcher said. Just say to yourself, I remember seeing that one. No, Eugene said. It's here somehow or another, he pointed to his head, and the hand goes for it. To Squire, however, it made perfect sense. Eugene was exposed to a cube. A pair of objects always presented in the same combination. There was a routine. He would choose one object and look to see if there was a sticker underneath, even if he had no idea why he felt compelled to turn the cardboard over. Then there was a reward, the satisfaction he received after finding a sticker proclaiming correct. Eventually, a habit loop emerged. To make sure this pattern was, in fact, a habit, Squire conducted one more experiment. He took all 16 items and put them in front of Eugene at the same time. 
He asked him to put all the correct objects into one pile. Eugene had no idea where to begin. Gosh sakes, how to remember this? He asked. He reached for one object and started to turn it over. The experiment stopped. No, she explained. The task was put the items in piles. Why was he trying to turn them over? That's just a habit, I think, he said. He couldn't do it. The objects, when presented outside of the context of the habit loop, made no sense to him. Here was the proof Squire was looking for. The experiments demonstrated that Eugene had the ability to form new habits, even when they involved tasks or objects he couldn't remember for more than a few seconds. This explained how Eugene managed to go for a walk every morning. The cues, certain trees on corner of the placement of particular mailboxes, were consistent every time he went outside. So, he, though he couldn't recognize his house, his habits always guided him back to his front door. It also explained why Eugene would eat breakfast three or four times a day, even if he wasn't hungry. As long as the right cues were present, such as his radio or the morning light through his windows, he automatically followed the script dictated by his basal ganglia. What's more, there were dozens of other habits in Eugene's life that no one noticed until they started looking for them. Eugene's daughter, for instance, would often stop by his house to say hello. She would talk to her father in the living room for a bit, then go into the kitchen to visit with her mother and then leave, waving goodbye on her way out the door. Eugene, who had forgotten their earlier conversation by the time she left, would get angry. Why was she leaving without chatting? And then forget why he was upset. But the emotional habit had already started and so his anger would persist, red hot, and beyond his understanding until it burned itself out. Sometimes he would bang the table or curse. And if you asked him why, he would say, I don't know, but uh, I'm mad, Bivoli told me. He would kick his chair or snap at whoever comes into the room. Then a few minutes later, he would smile and talk about the weather. It was like once it started, he had to finish the frustration. She said, Squire's new experiment also showed something else, that habits are surprisingly delicate. If Eugene's cues changed the slightest bit, his habits fell apart. If the few times he walked around the block, for instance, and something was different, the city was doing street repairs or a windstorm had blown branches all over the sidewalks, Eugene would get lost, no matter how close he was to home, until a kind neighbor showed him the way to his door. If his daughter stopped to chat with him for 10 seconds before she walked out, his anger habit never emerged. Squire's experiments with Eugene revolutionized the scientific community's understanding of how the brain works by proving once and for all that it's possible to learn and make unconscious choices without remembering anything about the lesson or decision-making. Eugene showed the habits as much as memory and reason are at the root of how we behave. We might not remember the experiences that create our habits, but once they are lodged within our brains, they influence how we act, often without our realization.